But more importantly, my favorite thing that I get to say is grab your Bible. And if you don't have one or own one, there's one in the pew back in front of you. And turn to the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and uh, John 15. And then give your attention to the reading of God's Word today. Whenever you get there, say, uh, I reckon. I'm getting more and more Arkansas in here every day. All right. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're glad that you're here today as we continue in our series, Abide. And what we've done is we're just taking some time at the beginning of the year and um, looking at Jesus' words. And we said that something that's popular nowadays is to sort of claim a word or have a word that guides you um, in the new year. And one of the words that we see that Jesus uses to summarize his relationship with his disciples is the word abide. And what we've done is to be helpful for you. And if you don't have one of these, we would have you go by the Welcome Center and grab this. This is just a little bookmark for your Bible. And we've outlined and sort of made it um, helpful for you to understand what abide means. And so the word abide means to rest or remain in something. But what we see in the passage is that Jesus uses this word in um, just many nuances to really describe that. And so we've, um, I'm a simple man, I need the jelly on the bottom shelf, and rhyme, rhythm, and repetition, and hip-hop songs is how I learn. And so I'm sure that's what you thought when you saw me, like he's into hip-hop for sure. And so we've created just a little uh, acronym for you for ABIDE, um, A-B-I-D-E. And so we started out saying that um, you need to acknowledge where you're at. And with many plans and goals in the new year, you can't know where you're going until you just honestly recognize where you are now. And then last week, we talked about binding ourselves to Jesus. And he says that apart from me, you can do nothing. And we, we talked about this idea of a rule of life. And we would, um, if you're on social media or anything, to go to our Facebook page. And we have an article posted there as to what a rule of life is. And so uh, the new year brings resolutions, and those are goals and boxes that we check off. But a rule of life isn't so much about completing goals as it is creating rhythms in your life. And so we learned that oftentimes we struggle with compartmentalizing our lives. So we have work, we have family, we have um, getting healthy, we have all of that, and then we have church in our relationship with Jesus and the spiritual aspect of our life, if you will. But Jesus knows nothing of the phrase, like, spiritual aspect of your life. And we learned last week that that every aspect of our life is, in fact, spiritual. 
that Jesus isn't a part of our life, but rather he is the very heart of our life. And so we would love for you to study and learn about what it is to create a rule of life. And then this week we're going to tackle um, two topics. This idea of informing yourself of God's word and devoting yourself to prayer. And really, I'm just going to spend time on one verse, verse 7, and unpacking that. When Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. And so if you, if you just look at that verse, there is sort of a cause and effect. Jesus is saying that if, if my words abide in you, that produces something this nature of, of asking the Father whatever you wish. And, and really what, what we're talking about is God's word, Jesus saying my words, and then asking God is, is prayer. So, so God's word and prayer. And this is the right way to learn and understand this, that, that we can't separate this idea of prayer and God's word or God's word and prayer. But maybe as an illustration, this will help. So we have three kids in our home, um, seven, four, and two, which is a statement and a prayer request all at the same time. And so um, right, our, our, our oldest, Roman, is seven. And, and if you have children or, or been a part of that, you know what each phase is like with um, each kid. And so Roman was our firstborn. So we read like all the books and all the blogs. And, you know, if a pacifier fell on the ground, we burned it. And like, no way we can put that back in his mouth. Don't hold him for too long. Don't do this. You know, like all of that type of stuff. And then the second one comes along, Andy Grace. And that was a game changer. Um, She was the first girl. And I'm from a home of boys. I'm the youngest of four boys. And so... Man, talk about when you see that baby girl for the first time. It was like, oh, Jesus, you know. And, um, but things kind of, you know, it wasn't so intense for everything like that. And then the third one hit the scene. And it was like, have we fed her today? <laughs> I mean, it just, the chaos and crazy stuff in life happened. But the phases of teaching um, each child sort of to, to learn to walk, and, but then also talk. And so Roman, it was like very intentional. We're teaching rhymes and we're doing all this stuff. And Andy Grace as well. And then, and then watching Andy Grace learning to talk because she has an older brother and somebody else is in the house. And, oh, that's cool. Roman didn't really get to experience that. But one of the things that's funny is seeing Roman and Andy interact with Piper. And um, she's two, and so she's talking and doing all of that. And what's funny is when Piper is talking, you know, she has... That, that baby talk, if you will. And it's so funny when you teach a child a word and then it filters through them and when it comes out of their mouth, it's like a totally different word, like grandma's gaga. You're like, oh, okay, all right, that works out. But what's funny is and one of the things that we have to correct is Roman and Andy sometimes will get on Piper's level and talk that sort of baby talk, if you will. And isn't it funny to watch like a grown adult talk to a baby in like baby talk it would be so funny to record that and then show them this is how dumb you look right now like you know but one of the things we we have to say is hey you know Roman Andy don't don't use her words and talk that baby talk like that talk normal to her because Piper is learning to talk by hearing you talk That's one of the primary ways that the way that we come into this world and how we learn to speak is 
that we are getting spoken to. That's what Jesus is talking about in John 15. When it comes to God's word and prayer, we, we can't separate them because our prayer is developed by Jesus' words. I love what Eugene Peterson says, and he says it this way. Because we learned language so easy in our lives, we have no memory of the process. Language is spoken into us. We learn language only as we are spoken to. We are plunged at birth into a sea of language. Then slowly, syllable by syllable, we acquire the capacity to answer. Mama, Papa, bottle, blanket, yes, no. None of these words were actually first words. You see, all speech is answering speech. We were all spoken to before we ever spoke. And when you look at that verse and meditate what Jesus is saying, this is, this is the thesis today. God's word to us in the scriptures develop and grow our words to God in prayer. And so God speaks to us through the scriptures. And we speak back to God in prayer. And so really today, um, if, if you're in one of these categories, if, if you're a non-believer and you're sort of trying church out or something like that, welcome, man. We're so glad that you're here. You're just sort of peeking over the fence and seeing what this is all about. Welcome. Some of this today might be just a little foreign to you, but it'll be sort of a peek behind the curtain to see what we're about. Secondly, if, if maybe you're a new believer just recently baptized and, and learning to walk with Jesus, you're, you're the target today. This is an idea of of discipleship, of how we can grow and abide in our relationship with Jesus. And then if you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for 40 years and you've just walked with Jesus, I hope today would just sort of fan into flame the fire in your heart and that it would get us back to the basics. I believe that today, apart from just a, a gospel presentation of sin, death, Jesus, the resurrection, and all of that, I believe that today is probably one of the most important messages that I could ever give you as your pastor. Because what we're learning today is the boots on the ground, practical understanding of what it is to abide in Jesus. The things that we're going to learn today, we will never, ever outgrow. And this idea of growing in our relationship requires these things, God's word and prayer. So we'll look at this phrase and we'll start with this. God's word to us is the scriptures. It's the Bible as we understand it. And Jesus says it very clearly. If my words abide in you. And so we learned that the word abide means to remain or to rest. So say it this way. If if my words, Jesus is saying, rest in and remain in you. Um, I'm, I'm a question guy. I like to ask questions. And so when Jesus says my words, is he meaning only his words, only the words found in red? Do we not need to worry about the Old Testament? Is it only the New Testament? What's, what's this idea of my words? And I love how D.A. Carson puts it. All the individual utterances that together constitute Jesus's word. Such words must so lodge in the disciples' mind and heart that conformity to Christ, obedience to Christ, is the most natural thing 
in the world for them to do. And I think we don't really read the Bible that way. I think that, that when we look at the Bible, we think it's sort of disconnected. It's, you know, the Old Testament thing, and then Charlton Heston did the thing, and that was cool. And then the Psalms, and those guys were emotionally unstable for sure. And then the new, Jesus, the New Testament, that's awesome. The resurrection, then Paul, he was mad about some stuff. And, then like, and we sort of, you know, compartmentalize this. But in reality, Jesus didn't view the scriptures that way or teach it that way. There's a moment after Jesus' resurrection when he's walking on the road to Emmaus and he encounters his disciples. And they're sort of talking and there's this mysterious thing in the text that they don't really recognize who he is, which I've always you know, puzzled that, like he rose from the dead. I would probably recognize that or something. But then he, he's teaching them about this grand story. And in Luke 24, 27, it says this, And beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning who? Himself. Like, just think about that for a moment. That's the coolest Bible study that's ever existed, right? That Jesus does a Bible study with his disciples starts with Moses, who we attribute writing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, makes his way through the prophets, all of that. And it says, in all of Scripture, the things concerning himself. So Jesus' primary objective when it comes to the Scriptures is that they are all about him. Every nuance of that. But I don't think that we approach the Bible that way. I think there's a number of ways that we view it. And Glenn Packiam is another pastor, and I I read it. I'm going to use him. He he looks at five sort of miscommon understandings of, of what the Scriptures are. And I think by default... No matter what your background is or anything like that, that you that we have an inclination to gravitate to one of these. The first thing that he says is this: that the scripture, a sort of um, misunderstanding, is that it's a textbook, reading for information, reading for information. So it's a science book. It's this. It's that. And we need information, information, information. Study, study, study. Now, in the scriptures, there is information, and and we should study and we should do all of that. But that's not primarily the goal of the scriptures. Um, I'll never forget, I was um, just recently saved. I've only been a Christian for a few years and recently married. And we were up in St. Louis and I was serving as a youth pastor on staff at a church. And so I was getting all of these questions from students and learning and all of this stuff. And I started reading what's known in the church world sort of as like systematic theology, right? And I know that just lights your fire. You're like, yeah, systematic theology. And it's all this stuff. And we had some dear friends of ours who's still just a dear friend of mine, Jason Courtney. And I was asking him these questions like, man, what really, what is the mystery and the tension between like God's providence and our free will? And what about this and the universe and all of this stuff? And, and Jason, I'll never forget the moment where I was. Jason said, are, are you reading books about the Bible? I said, yeah, man, you know, it's origins and all that stuff. He said, okay, cool. Um, Why don't you read the Bible? And I was like, there's a thought. (laughs) Instead of reading books about the Bible, I could read the Bible, right? And I think, you know, sometimes whether you're a left-brainer or somebody who's information and all of that, we, we pick the Bible apart for primarily just information, 
And some of the most dangerous people that I know have all kinds of Bible knowledge here, and it hasn't moved from the head to the heart. The Bible's not primarily a textbook. But secondly, the Bible is not primarily a cookbook, is what he says. Reading for formulas. And this is when we sprinkle this verse, and then we find this, and then we mix it with this, and then we do this, and then voila, we've got the combination, if you will. And all of a sudden, the Bible becomes like Indiana Jones or National Treasure. And oftentimes people think, like, I can't read the Bible because I don't know that this means this. And in the background, and in ancient Greece, what it really meant was, and it's all of these formulas, And then sometimes we think for a certain phase in our life, we need a certain formula and we need a dash of the Old Testament, a little bit of Psalms, let that simmer for a little bit and then add revelation and pow, you've got it right there. And when you do that, you you start disconnecting the grand story of the Bible. So it's not primarily a textbook. It's not primarily a cookbook. But then this, it's, it's not a coffee table book. Reading for inspiration and, and we love this, right? You know, the verse of the day, if you will. It's, you know, you get your little alarm on the phone. Verse of the day, God loves you and you're a snowflake. <laughs> First inspiration, verse 7. You know what I mean? And it's, it's all about the feel-good aspect. And then what happens, if that's your view of the Scripture, is anything that challenges your worldview, challenges you, you view as bad and negative. And only things that inspire you. Now, is there inspiration in the Bible? My goodness, yes. Yes and Amen. But that's not primarily what it is. And I find that people who view the scriptures as a coffee table book end up not worshiping and knowing the God of the Bible, but rather worshiping and knowing a God that they have created using the Bible. And that is a scary thing. So it's not a cookbook, a textbook, a coffee table book, but then this, a magic book. Like reading for secret power. And so maybe if you grew up with a charismatic background or some things like that, you know, it was, I'm claiming this and I'm saying this 27 times out loud and brother, you better the devil and the, right? Okay, awesome, cool. Um, I do believe that there's power in the word of God, but, but it's not like this expelioso, all that, you know, my Harry Potter fans. Yeah, I'm no my Harry Potter. Don't sleep. Okay. I know the deal, right? And, and then, then when, when the magic doesn't happen and you've incantation said that verse a thousand times and nothing's been produced, then you, you put the Bible down and, and you shake your fist at God and say, I, I did the special secret thing for the stuff and the thing and I didn't, this didn't happen. And your expectations are crushed. But lastly, I think this is primarily how the Bible is viewed today as a rule book, which is what I'm against. This is my background. I grew up with sort of a fundamentalist, legalistic background. And so I knew at one time in my life way more what God was against than what he was for. And so it was the whole don't drink, don't cuss, don't chew, don't go with girls that do, don't do all of this stuff, don't do that, don't, you know, you can't do this, your body's a temple this, all of this, this, this. And I never understood the, the promises of God. And what God was, was for. And even primarily what, what those rules were. When, when God says don't, 
He means don't hurt yourself. And so when it comes to the way that marriage and sex and identity and all of these things were designed, I I knew uh, the verses against that rather than what those promoted and what those were for. And so what what is the Bible? I mean, we've got 66 books, 40-plus different authors, three languages, three continents. What what is this about? And, and, And here's the definition I would use for the Scriptures. The Bible is one grand story of the triune God rescuing and redeeming His rebellious creation through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The Bible is about Jesus, man. And from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, all the way to the end of Revelation, Charles Spurgeon said that there is a scarlet thread all through the Scriptures, and that as we read the Bible, we should see the grand narrative and the story that God is writing. You see, I think all story is the language of the heart, That's why as as little children, we're fascinated at tell me a story. And I believe that once upon a time and the great adventure and the dragon and the prince and the princess, all of those are borrowed from the understanding of the Bible. And so we come to Jesus' words, if my words abide in you, to know Jesus, that it is about him. And, And I know what you're saying. Jason, I've, I've tried. I've, I've had the Bible reading plan thing, and Genesis was good. Exodus was cool, and Leviticus, I just died. I mean, I died right there in the desert with all the people of Israel. Like, I, I mean, I didn't even make it past the begots and the, then the genealogies and the Jason. The Bible's hard to read. I understand that. Absolutely, there's some difficult things in there. But what I find fascinating is when I have conversations with people and they can tell me about the Cardinal's pitcher in 1972 and where he was drafted from and then the place and then I got this thing wrong with my car. Well, that's clearly this and then all. You see, I think that when it comes to hard things in life, we don't opt out of those hard things like we opt out of understanding the Scriptures. And I think if we understood what Jesus is saying, that, that sort of um, understanding and importance would compel us to understand God's word. So listen, here's, here's what we're going to do today. Um, we're going to walk through what it is to understand and how you can actually understand the Bible and read this. Um, today is not this inspirational, woohoo, today the ball is going to be put in your court. And some of you guys came today and you were like, oh man, we got to do some stuff. Ugh, right? But what's the one phrase? The uh, give a man a fish, um, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. Hey, listen, look up here. I'm not into spoon feeding you the Bible like little babies wearing a bib every Sunday. What I am about is us growing and learning and abiding in Jesus' words. And so out there at the Welcome Center, or if you did get a bulletin inside, we've got this thing called what I'm going to call the Ransom Bible Study Method. Okay? Now listen, if you're a deep theologian, you've already got a Bible study method, and you're reading right out of the Greek right now and all of this stuff, then this is not for you. Okay? 
But um, if you're just trying to figure this thing out and how to do this, awesome. This is great. The first thing um, that, that I would tell you is this. Uh, get a physical Bible. Okay? Um, yeah, it's 2019. Awesome. Technology is great. That's fascinating. Here's what you're not going to do. Um, you're not going to pass your phone down to your kids. Okay? I think um, apart from granddaddy's shotgun and your original wedding dress and all of that, the most important thing that you can pass down to your kids is the word of God. And when they see what you've studied and what you've prayed and what you've highlighted and what you struggled with and their name and the margins and the promises and all of that stuff... That's incredible. Also, distractions. I mean, I said this last week. If I'm reading the Bible on my phone, next thing I know, I bought four things from Amazon. Okay? I have no idea what just happened. Okay? Then all of a sudden, Facebook crept in, and then all the, it just, right? Okay, so, so, so I need a physical Bible. The second thing is this. Um, you need to get a plan, a Bible reading plan out there um, at the Welcome Center and in the lobby. And then later on today on our Facebook, it'll go live, some Bible reading plans. I use the, the Book at a Time Bible reading plan. I'm marking through it. This is what I use. Um, I didn't read Tuesday. That box isn't checked. Am I still saved? Okay. All right, cool. Listen, you need a plan, okay? Because here's what you don't need to do. I'm going to read the Bible today. Um, here we go. And like eight ball that thing is what we call it, right? You know the story of the guy that did that, right? He wanted to know God's will for his life. And so he just opened up the Bible and said, whatever my finger lands on this, what I'm going to do. And he landed on, and Judas went and hung himself. <laughs> and he was like, oh, no, right? I'm going to find another one landed in Ecclesiastes. And it said, whatever, you, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Oh, no, right? So don't just hang yourself, but do it right now. Okay, listen, Right? There's, there's logic, there's a plan, there's authors, there's context, there's all of this. What a book at a time Bible reading plan does, this is what I need. It gives you two readings, an Old Testament and New Testament reading. One of the things I'm trying to do for my rule of life is read in the morning and then read in the evening. I would love God's words to be the first thing for me in the day and then the last things for me in the day. Um, if, if you like the Bible reading plan where, you know, I just can't do the ones that's like, what you need today is the law of God, the Psalms, the minor prophets, the new, I just can't do multiple ones because I'm ADD like squirrel. I just, I need like something in a plan. Okay. So get a physical Bible. If you don't have one, take the Bible with you home today. Right. Don't ever say we didn't give you anything here at Westside. All right. Get that, get a Bible reading plan, and then this is just an outline for you to do this. The first thing is this, um, read that day's text. It's mind-blowing, right? Um, start where you're at and, and read that passage. Listen, it's not a contest. Um, sure, read through the Bible in a year. That's great. But if you're not understanding what you're reading Maybe take two years and read through the Bible or do something like that. Read and, and, and slowly read through that day's text. The second thing is this. A, ask questions. What's going on? Is there names? Is there locations? Is there promises? Is there all of this? I'm asking questions of the text. It's okay to do that. Mark up, circle. Listen, God's not going to strike you dead by marking in your Bible, okay? Do all of this. Read, ask, do all of that. And then secondly, note. Okay, so, so, so I've got a little moleskin, a little five and a half by eight and a half journal. I'm just jotting stuff down, chicken scratch, all type of stuff. Nothing profound, all right? 
It's not like, oh, thouest father today, in thine holy word, right? What are you doing? Who are you talking to, okay? Just note down, what are you seeing? That word's weird, right? That guy died, okay? Just note down what's going on. What are you seeing in the text? Read, ask, note, and then this, summarize. Just put it in a sentence. Um, I try to do this in, in my sermons, I'm showing you what I do to prep for a sermon, okay? Summarize. And even in a day of social media where 140 characters or less or all of that in our attention spans, if you're not summarizing what you're reading, then you're not going to retain the knowledge of that. And it doesn't have to be profound. God said, don't do this. Great. Awesome. Just summarize what's going on in the text. Read, ask, note, summarize, and then this. Obey. You mean I got to do something, right? Listen, when it comes to God's word and you come across something and it's correcting you or challenging your worldview or something like that, we live in what's called the postmodern era. It's 2019. We have iPhones. And all kinds of cool stuff now. So now the presupposition is when you come to the Bible, everyone assumes that the Bible's wrong and they try to find all of these arguments about that. But in reality, the humble view is to come to the scriptures and when you find something that disagrees with you, you assume, I assume that I'm wrong rather than the scriptures. So, so we do this all the time here. You got a Bible in your hand? You got a Bible? Hold it up over your head. Hold the Bible up over your head. You're in the sermon now, okay? This is how we view God's word. Above us, it is the final authority. You can put it down. You got your cardio in today. Great job. Right? This is one of the things that birthed out of the Protestant Reformation, sola scriptura, that the scriptures are the final authority for the church, okay? Do you know how much authority I have in your life being a pastor? Nada, nothing. The scripture has authority over us. The scripture is what governs the church. Jason's not the pastor of the church. Jesus is the head of the church, all right? I work for Jesus, and we find that the scriptures are the final authority, and so we're asking God, what do I need to obey? Listen, God has not given us his word for solely information, but for our transformation, to apply what we already know. So we're reading, we're asking, we're noting, we're summarizing, we're obeying, and then lastly this, we're meditating on God's word. What's stuck out? What's the thing? What's the word? Hey, um, check this out. So um, I, I read in John 15 a couple months ago. Guess what word stuck out to me in John 15? Abide. So I prayed about that. I thought, you know what? I noted down the new year's coming. I meditated on it. And lo and behold, we're in a sermon series called Abide. It's not, it's not rocket science when it comes to this. It can be one word. It can be a phrase, memorizing things, note cards, putting those things, places, all of that stuff. Rhyme, rhythm, repetition. Listen, here, here's the goal. The more you grow in learning God's word, the more you grow in loving the God of the word. I'm not interested in highlighting, as one preacher says, just highlighting verses. I'm interested in verses highlighting you. I'm not interested in just getting into God's word. I'm interested in God's word getting into you. And listen, that never returns void. 
God's word has so many promises in it that when we come to it humbly and prayerfully and we submit ourselves to it, he says it is like the rain that falls on the ground and it grows and it accomplishes the purpose that I sent it forth. And there's going to be days where you read it and you go, I I don't even know what this is doing. And then there's going to be years later or weeks or months or days later where something happens in your life and guess what? God's word comes to mind and you go, yes, yes, this is the point. And when it comes to meditating, you can't meditate apart from praying. So God's word to us is the scriptures. Our words to God is prayer. And this is where um, Christian meditation is, is different than sort of a Hinduistic understanding or anything like that. Oftentimes people think meditating is emptying your mind. And there's, that's a half-truth. It's not just emptying your mind, but filling it with something. And if we're just emptying our mind, then anything can fill it. But what God's Word wants to do is to get into us. And so when Jesus says, if my words abide in you... Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. Isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't say, ask whatever you wish, and then talk about his word? But rather, he talks about his word abiding in us, and then us asking, which, which is interesting. Because I believe that, that if you just go to God in prayer first, and then jot those things down, and then you go to God's word and spend time in that, then go to God in prayer and jot those things down, those lists will look primarily different. Because you have a source, something that's developing. And this is something that we have to understand. Prayer is difficult. Prayer is hard for me. One of the things in the rule of life is I would like to have a scheduled time of prayer for three times a day. Not like just, oh, God. Right, Just a few moments of quiet meditation and centering myself before the God of the universe. And, and this is something that we have to understand what the disciples asked Jesus. Look at what it says here in Luke 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. So when I read that, I note and I summarize this. Prayer is not natural. Do you see that? If if the disciples are asking Jesus to teach them how to pray, then prayer is not natural, but rather we have to learn and grow at this understanding of prayer. And, and, And prayer is God's primary vehicle that apart from his word and those things coming together, that we develop and grow as disciples. A book that I would recommend if you want to study this more is is Tim Keller's book entitled Prayer. He says this, Prayer is the only entryway into genuine self-knowledge. It is also the main way we experience deep and lasting change, the reordering of our loves. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things we most desire. It is the way we know God, the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. 
And so one of the things that we have is, apart from the handout on the Ransom Bible Study Method for you to keep this in your Bible, is on the other side, it has the Acts Prayer Guide. This is very simple. This is to help us grow. Those of you who are deep into the things of God and can pray for two hours every day, this is not for you, all right? You're super Christian, okay? But this is to help us and, and to frame our prayer to God. And so when it comes to this, Acts, understanding A, adoration, that we're praising God for who he is. When you see the Psalms or any New Testament or Old Testament prayer, first, when anybody comes before God, it is recognizing that he is God and I am not. That praising the the creator of the universe, that you are holy. Do you understand the song that we sung? That we join the host of heaven singing holy, holy. Do you know that we don't start a worship service, but we join a worship service that's taking place in heaven? And we know what the angels are singing day and night surrounding the throne of Jesus Christ is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They don't start with themselves. They start with who God is. And then after those moments of adoring him and loving him, we, we now realize who we are through confession. You see, if adoration is recognizing God for who he is, then we realize who we are. And you see, anytime anybody encounters the Spirit of God, an angel, or Jesus, anytime in the New Testament or Old Testament, um, they, they fall to the ground as if they're dead, right? And so Isaiah goes to the temple on a Sunday and encounters God. And um, his response is, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Isn't it interesting? Do you see how, how our service is structured now? What's the first thing that we do when we come in here? Right? Tyler, get on the mic and go, how y'all feeling today? Let's get hot for Jesus. No. What do we do? We read God's word out loud. Because if creation began with God speaking, let there be light, then our worship is a response to God speaking to us. And so we read corporately God's word together out loud. And in, in, in light of that, that evokes the songs that we sing as a response. So we're adoring him for who he is. We're confessing that for what it is. But praise be to God, we don't just stay there. But then we move on to thanksgiving. And we tell God, thank you. And some days that'll be quick. Thank you, you know, woohoo this for the sun and food and all this, and that's great. But as you train yourself to do that, um, just this past week, I was in a hospital room and held hands with people and thanked God. And one of them was laying in a hospital bed. See, in moments like that, that's when your thankfulness. See, see, once you're adoring God for who he is, confessing the shortcomings in our life and then thanking him for his grace and for his mercy and for his sustaining love for us, then it leads us into supplication, which is asking now for things. Do you see how low that is actually on the list? And do you see that that prayer is not getting your will across to God, but rather God forming and guiding his will in your life? Jesus even teaches us this, that I want this cup to pass from me, but not my will be done, but yours. And then it's asking God for for, for whatever you need as a child asks a parent. 
Last week we said, is there anybody in your life that immediate family or friends or coworkers that, that don't know Christ, that does not have a relationship with Jesus? And ev- almost every hand went up in the room. What about asking for that? God, that, that my dad, my granddaddy would know you, my mother, my brother. God, save us from just studying the Bible and not asking for these things that he's promised and said, come to me, come to me for these things. And so when it comes to God's word to us in the scriptures, that develops and grows our words to God in prayer. And so now I want to be really practical and and give you some helps in some of this, okay? So when it comes to to prayer helps, um, I, I recommend the Bible, That's nuts, right? Yeah, I know. Um, But why not read, like, in Acts, the church's prayers or the Psalms, which was Jesus' prayer book, and seeing how we process our emotions and all of that. So so primarily start with the Scriptures. Um, Then then another one is the Book of Common Prayer. We, We use that sometimes in our service, which is great to see people and giants of the faith and as we are hearing them pray, as Hebrews says, that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we also are learning the language of prayer. So the Bible, the Book of Common Prayer, um, the Valley of Vision is one that I use. It's a collection of Puritan prayers. I have to confess, sometimes it's really long, and I don't understand what those dudes are saying, okay? So it's the, the almighty, heavenly, you know, and all that, and i got to spend time and sort of boil that down. But listen, here's what all these helps are. These helps are like a diving board that spring you into the pool of prayer. These are not magic incantations and saying all of these out loud. These are sparks that fan the flame in your heart to grow in prayer. And then lastly, there's a book called 2,000 Years of the Prayers in the Church. And it's crazy to look back. One, one of the things that the early church and Christians prayed was, was a phrase called Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord. And they prayed it when they were being burned alive in Nero's gardens and set on fire and persecuted. And man, listen, when when you start to hear these prayers and see all of this, it starts to mold you and to shape you. When it comes to the Bible and some Bible study helps, um, one of the things I always recommend is is a study Bible. Um, We we use the ESV here, so the ESV study Bible is great. A lot of resources and all that stuff. A lot of people are like, what about the translation, right? What about the 1611 and all this stuff? I'm not even going to get in that argument because you have way too much time on your hands. Um, I always say the best translation is the one you'll read. Okay, so whatever translation that that you can read and understand, I think that's probably a great start. Um, A study Bible, I would be careful with that. I don't primarily read daily out of a study Bible because I find myself reading the study notes more than the actual Bible itself. So I have just a regular text with some references and that sort of Bible. If you don't have one, please take that Bible today. An ESV study Bible is great. Another resource is the blueletterbible.com. Um, this has some supplemental studies for you, but it also, like if you did John 15, 8, type that in in the search key bar, um, it, it'll also bring up the original languages. And, and it literally defines, it even has a guy who says, Strong's G247, Manathao. Manatha, I mean, like it'll say the word to you and all that stuff, right? Um, like, 
Technology today is unbelievable. You can have the Bible read to you. Out loud. It's unbelievable, right? So blueletterbible.com is great. And then Bible Gateway is another resource that gives you multiple translations and study notes and everything like that. Listen, today's sermon is a little bit different. Because here's what I'm doing. I'm giving you the ball. Roll with it. Roll with it. These things, we never grow beyond the basics of this. Ever. And Jesus promises and says that if my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. And then the following verse is, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. Listen, understanding the God of the word and going to God in prayer is the way that we bear fruit in our lives. As the band comes and leads us in a time of response, I want to do um, something just crazy today. I want us to do what we just learned. That'd be crazy, right? And so I want to read Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount about prayer. Then at the end, we, we will recite the Lord's Prayer out loud together. And then through maybe just the acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, before you come and partake and abide in Jesus in communion, that you just spend time in prayer today. You adore God for who He is. You confess whatever you need to confess, and you thank God for His grace and His covering mercy. And then interceding for whoever you need to intercede for. So Westside, stand to your feet and hear the words of God. The words of Jesus. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've already received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need even before you ask Him. Pray. And pray then like this. Westside, lift your voice out loud together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, thy will be done, as earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus, our prayer today is that you would accomplish what you promised, and that your word would remain and abide in us as your disciples. God, I just pray for you to do something in this room today. As we grow and the ball is in our court, you've provided every possible avenue to know you. We have this Bible in our hands. You have revealed yourself to us, not only in words, but rather the word became flesh and dwelt among us that you have showed and demonstrated how much you love us. And I pray, God, that your love would empower us to pursue you and to know you. 
I pray for families. I pray for marriages. I pray for anybody that is seeking you, that your words, Jesus, that whatever we seek, we will find. That we would ask and knock and pursue. God, I pray as Psalm 119, 18 says, that you would open up our eyes, that we would behold wondrous truths from your word. That it would do something in us. Holy Spirit, have your way with us today. We pray this in the name that you teach us to pray. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Spend some time in prayer and come forward and partake in communion as you feel led today.